Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I uh, came across um, a report from Refugees International. They're based in Washington, D.C. Came across it this past week. And the report is titled, After the Airlift, Protection for Afghan Refugees and Those Who Must Remain at Risk in Afghanistan. Now, we know there are still in the neighborhood of a 1,000 Canadians in Afghanistan that were not gotten out by this government, by this country. We've had opportunity. We haven't done it. And uh, they are in significant risk from the Taliban. And uh, any suggestion that the Taliban have suddenly become reasonable people who are going to do things according to the way we expect things to be done, you can forget about that. You can just forget about it. Hardin Lang is the Vice President for Programs and Policies at Refugees International. He's co-author of the report and uh, after the airlift, and he joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Lang, thank you very much uh, f- for the time. What are your thoughts, of, first of all, about the airlift, which at Kabul Airport often looked chaotic and tragic simultaneously? Roy, well, thanks very much for having me. And I think the the, airport, the effort at the airport in terms of the sort of logistical uh, element of the lift that was carried out by the U.S. military and a series of other uh, allied forces was in and of itself a pretty extraordinary uh, logistical feat. Um, the number of people, you know, 124, 127,000 people airlifted out in a fairly short period of time, in a matter of weeks. Um, uh, that piece of it, I think, is something that those who are involved in it can, can be proud of. In general, the fact that we, we found ourselves in a situation where this is the way in which, uh, you know, the United States, Canada, other countries found themselves in a position to have to look after at-risk Afghans, particularly Afghans who are at risk because of their work with the United States and with other allied governments in the effort in Afghanistan. I think uh, there are going to be a lot of questions going forward about how that happened, why we had, why we had to find ourselves in that moment. I mean, there's no doubt that like the way in which the elements of the evacuation were deeply chaotic and Afghans and also internationals who participated were put at great risk um, by the nature in which it was conducted. That said, I think now we really have to look forward uh, at what can be done to get those who remain inside of Afghanistan out and then how to care and get refuge for those who have been airlifted to third locations all over the Middle East and, and elements of Europe um, before uh, actually arriving uh, in in the United States or Canada or elsewhere. Now, I want to ask you about that, but first, what's your sense of the level of danger that the people, the uh, the refugees, because they are refugees in their own country now, what what level of danger do they face from the Taliban? And I should tell you that we've spoken with interpreters who know the Taliban situation well, who were on uh, hit lists by the Taliban and were able to get get out, and they left no doubt what their fate would be, what the fate of the remaining interpreters would be if they're, in fact, discovered by the Taliban. And it wasn't pretty. It was very it was horrendous to, to listen to what they were describing to us. So what, what are your concerns for the, let's call them what they are, refugees still in Afghanistan? So the number of people, you know, tens of thousands, some count them hundreds of thousands, of you know, Afghans who worked for the U.S. government, who worked for the Canadian government, or who worked for programs or NGOs or other efforts that were sponsored uh, by international donors or Western donors, or even those who became sort of fellow travelers around shared values, 
like rights for women, for example, right? Journalists, freedom of press, uh, democracy activists. There is no doubt that, you know, the level of concern and fear inside of those populations for their own safety moving forward is extremely high. Talk to national staff inside the United Nations, um, others who are deeply concerned about uh, how they are going to be treated by the Taliban. And many, a number of anecdotal stories have emerged of these individuals being targeted or hunted uh, in Kabul or in their hometowns where they came from. So I think the level of, the, the palpable level of fear, I can't speak to exactly the nature of the threat they're facing, but the palpable level of fear in any of these individual conversations is extremely high. And so I think you still have a population um, inside of Afghanistan that considers itself to be very highly at risk. And in addition, Afghanistan is in the middle already, right, of a major humanitarian crisis. COVID-19 is out of control. The healthcare system is, what remains of it, is pretty close to collapse. Half the population uh, is in need of food aid, right? They're facing very significant uh, food insecurity. And there's been a very significant drought in parts of the country. So all these factors are sort of combining together to create an incredible, an extremely high level of vulnerability, not just amongst those Afghans who had some sort of affiliation with Western powers over the course of the last 20 years, but for Afghans in general. I'm speaking with Harden Lang, Vice President for Programs and Policies at Refugees International. He's co-author of the report, After the Airlift, Protection for Afghan Refugees and Those Who Must Remain at Risk in Afghanistan. So, uh, Mr. Lang, what about... Uh, what about looking forward then? Let's go back to something that you raised a couple of minutes ago, what the responsibility is going forward and what the options are for Afghans who find themselves in a situation where they just need to get out of the region and, and they need to settle somewhere. And, and uh, there, there's no reason for them not to settle, if they, particularly if they, if they assisted NATO nations in that mission. There's no reason for them not to settle in the nations where they provided assistance. But what's your sense of what's going to happen? So if we're speaking about the 124,000 people who were airlifted out, and actually it's a subset of that because that included some Canadians, Americans, um, you know, others of sort of direct nationality uh, for Western powers who were involved in the conflict. If you look at those, in the United States, they have a variety of different status. Those who will be coming to the United States have a series of different status. Some have what's called special immigrant visas, or they're, or they're, in, they're applying for those, which are due to their work or affiliation with the United States. Um, Others are playing simply almost in, in a sense like they were just refugees who were at risk um, because of their affiliation with the West. These people, like the, the, that is now a logistical and legal challenge for the United States as these people come into the, into the U.S. or are being processed on military bases throughout uh, the Middle East and elsewhere. Um, but by and large, they are now in a pipeline to safety, right? We also have to work out how they're going to be taken care of because many of these people are being what's called paroled into the United States. They don't have official status as a refugee or an asylee when they arrive, and there aren't programs set up to provide services for those populations when they first arrive. Now, some of that is changing and happening, but there's going to be a very big sort of logistical and legal effort to catch up, right, with this huge pipeline of people who are moving into the United States. My, like, another, but the, the place where I think we really need to focus are those people who have been left behind inside of Afghanistan. Because right now the Taliban has said, um, if you have the appropriate paperwork, passport, a visa, you're allowed to leave the country. We've seen a couple of cases where that has happened, but it's largely because they were accompanied by a uh, foreign power, Qatar or elsewhere, 
that allowed them to get out of the country through a couple of air flights coming out of Kabul International Airport or cross borders, right, into Pakistan. But by and large, those, those, the Taliban have not respected their own ground rules. They've shown little sign of doing so. The international community has actually passed an, a resolution in the Security Council calling them to allow for safe passage, but we haven't seen that materialize. And so, and also countries in the region, whether it's Iran, Tajikistan, Pakistan, have largely closed their borders. So to my mind, the real big effort now going forward needs to be focused on, you know, from the United States and elsewhere, working with governments in the region to open their borders to allow Afghans to try to seek safety. And then I think we have some very hard bargaining negotiation going on with the Taliban with respect to what little leverage remains vis-a-vis the Taliban to try to secure safe passage for populations, for refugees, in essence, who need to leave the country for their own safety and security. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.